Yes. Well, it's about having them understanding that marketing and business development is vital to their careers and having them understand all the components of that. And I encourage it from very early on in their careers to get involved, to join organizations, to help us with communication efforts. And a lot of times I'm helping them understand that marketing is such a broad thing they're probably already doing some type of marketing or business development in their current role. And once they realize they're already doing business development successfully, they're more eager to take on things. But it's essential to start early to have them networking, staying in touch with clients, communicating their own individual successes, vocalizing those successes. If you don't stop and pause and take a moment to celebrate what you've done, no one else will. Welcome to Best Practice, a show where we interview leaders in the building industry to unpack the tools, strategies, and tactics they use to run great organizations. Today, we're excited to be joined by Kerry Villani and Doug Gonzalez of Lara Consulting Structural Engineers for a fireside chat on how to move a legacy firm into the future. Carrie's director of marketing for Lara. She has been known, has shown her leadership skills and passion for the real estate industry throughout her career. At Lara, Carrie works closely with firm partners and management on marketing, communications, and business development efforts, promoting Lara's long tradition of innovative design, exceptional forensics, and loss consulting services and advances in technology that has brought them to the forefront of the engineering profession across the world. Doug is a partner at Lara Consulting Structural Engineers with the firm since 1991. Doug helps to lead Lara's efforts in healthcare, science, and adaptive reuse renovation work. In his role as quality assurance manager for Lara, he oversees Lara's quality control and knowledge management processes. Currently, Doug has overseen a number of the firm's healthcare projects, including a major hospital campus uh, transformation in New York, the Coney Island Hospital Critical Services Structure and Campus Renovation in Brooklyn, that's a mouthful, uh, and the new New York City Public Health Lab in Manhattan. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you, Chris, as always, for joining us as well and for uh, the audience here today. So to start, I think it'd be great to just understand the story of you both working together so far. Maybe we can start off with Carrie. Hi, thank you so much for having us. I'm really excited for this conversation. So when I started at Lira eight years ago, I had the very specific goal of helping the associate partners expand their work in certain market sectors. Right away, I saw an opportunity for a more holistic marketing, business development, client relations, and communications initiative for the whole firm. Doug and I started working directly on his areas of expertise and his interests to grow our client base, create a robust communications effort, and the production of thoughtful pursuit responses. Well, Carrie's been great. She's really, um, you know, since she joined Lara, she's just been a big ally and supporter. Um, she really, I mean, she's worked with me and others, you know, uh, um, my other colleagues, just really helping us uh, improve our communication, our focus, on, um, you know, whether it's business development or just publicity, communications in general. And it's, it's sort of channeled a new uh, part of Lara, um, provided a whole, a whole lot more energy into business development and just communicating who we are you know, to uh, everyone outside. What is it like more specifically, like what's happened this year to two of you working together? What is it like now when the two of you work on something together? Give us a sense for what that picture looks like at Lara. Well, we're continuing to work on all of those things and we are constantly researching new opportunities and making plans to connect with new contacts and new clients. I would say the most exciting thing Doug and I are working on now is nurturing his own team of young engineers, helping those project managers together to grow their own careers. So that's one of the newer things we're doing. Um, it's really exciting for both of us. There's also a lot of um, strategic planning uh, and discussions that we have. I mean, right now, um, you know, Lara's based in New York City. We do projects around the world. We have offices overseas. We'd like to expand throughout the rest of the country in terms of like having regional offices. 
Um, and I've been sort of focusing on Pennsylvania and the Midwest and, uh, and a lot of that flows out of my practice areas of needing to be somewhat local when talking to institutions. And, and so it's a constant discussion about like, how do we do that? And she's essential because communications is, is part of it. So we, we talk a lot. <laughs> yes. Um, we share a lot of information and we work with everyone else at the firm. I get to work with them. So sharing that information on individual pursuits is really important and sharing our larger network. I know a lot of people all over the country. Doug knows different people. So connecting all of those dots is really important. Karen, you mentioned a bit that you've been working with Doug's team and the way you framed it, it was more, it seemed like a more of a helping them grow professionally, right? It was, it wasn't like, is you're basically, you're having more of a contribution than just business development, it seems. Is it, is it, or is that part of it is like help when, when we, when, when you reference like helping them grow professionally, does, is like their own book of business, like their own kind of uh, catalog of clients that they're helping to nurture and bring to in, into the fold, or maybe you can dive a little bit more into that. Like, what does that relationship look like? Yes. Well, it's about having them understanding that marketing and business development is vital to their careers and having them understand all the components of that. And I encourage it from very early on in their careers to get involved, to join organizations, to help us with communication efforts and a lot of times I'm helping them understand that marketing is such a broad thing. They're probably already doing some type of marketing or business development in their current role. And once they realize they're already doing business development successfully, they're more eager to take on things. But it's essential to start early to have them networking, staying in touch with clients, communicating their own individual successes, vocalizing those successes. If you don't stop and pause and take a moment to celebrate what you've done, no one else will. So getting into those habits really early and understanding it's part of running an engineering business. So the technical aspect, the project management, those are all key elements, but they need to be integrated into client outreach, managing those relationships, and helping to market the overall firm and your own individual efforts as well. The way I see it, engineers in college, school, we do learn a little bit about how to communicate. You know, like the curriculum has changed a lot in the last few decades, but it's not the focus. And we're in a people business. We work with you know, other team members and owners, and it's all about communications. And anything that helps the people, my team, learn how to be a better communicator and feel more confident and comfortable is like a big win for us. And I encourage that. And, you know, Carrie and her team have been great doing that. And that's a continued focus for us. What does it look like for an engineer who is a project manager to increase their visibility, like tactically, and to whom are they like doing this? Like, who are the clients or are they already familiar with them? Are they already connected with them? They just don't, maybe aren't vocalizing successes enough? Or is it that they, they need to find more or connect with more as an extension of their existing network? Like, how do you work through? Um, I'd love to hear like somewhat of a like case study that is kind of common that you help oh. project managers work through. Yeah, it's absolutely both. So it's staying in touch with and communicating with your existing clients and structural engineers. We work kind of early in the project. The project tops out and we might not be super involved and the rest of the project is going along, finishes. The client and architect might be super busy and not involving us. So we kind of get forgotten. And I have taught the engineers, they need to stay in touch with the design team. They need to stay in touch with the client and congratulate them on additional milestones and stay informed and let them know, okay, we'd like to be involved if there's a press announcement for this, if there's a grand opening, because they're already on to designing the next project. So creating a new rhythm and schedule for their project management after they deliver their drawing set, after they finish their CA, staying in touch, but then absolutely creating awareness. LinkedIn is a huge part of it. 
A lot of our engineers are great at authoring papers in the variety of technical and industry journals. So they're already doing that. And I say, this is marketing. You wrote a paper. Now our clients are reading it. And they love to just capture the technical details and tell the story of the challenges of the project. So showing them that is marketing and you're doing it has been really great. But just kind of bringing it all together and having it be consistent part of their workflow from week to week, month to month, not just, oh, I'm going to do marketing this one day and then not do it. It has to be a consistent effort. I love that there's two approaches to that. That one is like, as you were speaking, I was visualizing like this scan chart at which at the very end of like the delivery, it doesn't stop, right? That it's actually like a marketing component owned by the project manager. It's part of their own responsibilities that you can kind of structure it that way versus this other more constant rhythm of, you know, maintaining relationships, not exclusive to a project, but just to cultivate, you know, uh, potentially new relationships. And I also love that you mentioned LinkedIn, because I think this is, you know, when, when there's a lot of different takes on social media, right. And like its relationship to the industry. But I think what's not talked about as much is that each of these different platforms have their own rhythms and sort of appropriateness. Like they have their, their format, right? And so as a format, they have their own constraints that work really well. And LinkedIn is one of these untapped areas, immensely untapped, um, where yes, it's about sort of like, it's, it's a, when you're on LinkedIn, it's a very career-minded mentality, but people want to learn. Like it's a huge opportunity to learn. And, on the technical side, even there's fascinating ways in which the algorithms work there, just to kind of geek out a little bit, that actually sustain a post much longer than other places. Mm-hmm. Just. Like Instagram, it could be fleeting. LinkedIn has its own kind of physics associated with it, it kind of just has a fall off period much longer. So what does that mean? That means that if you write really good, interesting content, especially very technical for a technical audience, that will get a lot of traction. A lot of people will be engaged and, and actually see it. And it, it's it's basically like really free advertising if you think about organic versus paid. Uh, I don't know, it just prompted me to kind of nerd out. But but I, I think that there's a lot of ways in which even you can dig deeper into those channels for for that, especially, you know, it's, it's this other idea. Like one of our team members, Joanne, she uh, on the side does like personal co- personal brand coaching. And she's a big proponent of this about like helping people understand that we're now in a di- in in a, in an age in which you can also cultivate a personal brand, and that is also worthwhile and valuable, not just for working there where you work, but also because it it accrues. Like now you're building your own network that's leverageable, and that, that's a big shift that's happened in the past couple of years, where you know alongside other things about employee empowerment, but. I think that's another way in which you can frame it for team members too, to say like, this is not just for us. It's also for you and your career in general, which I I don't know, I just appreciate that. The way I like to think of it is if our staff, our engineers, our designers, if they can set goals for their own personal growth, and then if those can be, if, if they can align those with Lara or Lara can align them align Lara's with theirs, then you get synergy and there we're all working toward the common goal. Because, you know, for us, one of the most important things is our people. And we're, we're a people business, even though we deal with technology and software and all that. And seeing them grow will help us. So uh, that for me is like a passion and working with my team. And, you know, it's something we hope to expand even further going forward. That's, and that's, that's another thing Carrie and I talk a lot about. Doug, do you remember a moment as you were growing, that was really a inflection point because of something that you, I mean, the, my favorite stories are the ones where it's something you would never have thought to do. And then you did it. There's like the stories where it's, you never did something before ever. And then you tried a new thing and it actually took a whole different direction. Then there's another kind of story, which is I kept doing this thing all the time. And then it was because of the persistence that it finally took off. I'm curious if you have a story like that in either direction about how you developed your career and especially around your client network uh, for Lara? Well, I would say before Carrie arrived, um, I was an associate partner. I directed projects, you know, big projects, you know, worked with the uh, 
my partners um, on that. And then the goal really was, well, what, what are the next steps? And it is a bit of a challenge at first because you do have to take a step forward. It's a bit of a leap of faith to realize I can represent the company on my own terms. And you have to find a little bit about who you are to do that. You can't follow the styles and patterns of other people, you know, the people you're working with. And, you know, so part of that was starting to go to conferences in which you're talking to architects and owners and other designers or, you know, service providers, builders, and being able to represent yourself in a way that you started to feel really comfortable. A lot of younger engineers always, you know, at a certain point, if, if someone says, well, do that type of work, or, you know, I might have a project here, and then they might be like, okay, um, I, I, I'm going to put you in touch with my boss or something like that. Like they, they sort of hesitate and stop. And to get past that is like a huge thing, I think, in, the, in this business. And some people do it. Some people will never do it because they're inhibited and not challenged to do that. But I think anyone can do it because you can do it with different styles, different personalities. So I would say that's one of those moments, if that makes sense, if I answered your question. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Do you, Carrie, have you seen as that as a similar kind of breakthrough across the other, like seeing associate partners move up or seeing because you're what's really interesting about thinking about it this way is at some point in the company, you have to become a business developer as a partner in order to enter the leadership group normally. I mean, that's sort of how it kind of works. And there's not a lot of places to practice that as you're moving up until that critical moment. And sometimes the leadership doesn't even fully articulate that that is really the only growth to, growth path beyond a certain level. But to have someone like you, Carrie, on the team or any organization that's already operationalized business development and how it creates career paths at a high level, like at a senior level for people, I love, I'm, I'm curious, is Doug's story very common or is, is there another kind of interesting story that you could share from another associate partner taking that move? Well, I think the, for the new generation, it's not the same story because we're creating much more transparency in what business development and marketing is right off the bat. I think one of the exciting things I've done is get people to vocalize what their interests are to their clients and tell their clients. People are afraid to be salespeople, but if you don't tell your client, I like doing museums, I like doing schools, I like doing libraries, and they don't know that you do those things, they won't know. So getting people to vocalize those interests and ex expertise types has been huge for everyone. But the new generation, absolutely, they have a lot more transparency and they won't just reach the middle of their career and say, now I can learn about marketing. I think hopefully we've seen the last of that generation that it was unveiled a little later in their career and... Now it's, I'm welcoming the intern and I'm saying, wow, I already saw you posting about Lara on LinkedIn. That's fantastic. And I'm encouraging them to talk about their projects, to tell me about what clients they're working with and sharing information. Always keep sharing information. Really the core of what I did at Lara was combat the misconceptions we had. We were either too famous or unknown at the same time, depending on who you were talking to. So we're very well known for doing super tall towers around the world for over 50 years. And then people thought, well, gosh, they couldn't possibly be interested in my 20 story building or my renovation. And it's, yes, we absolutely have an expertise in that and hundreds of projects in our portfolio of all different types, all different market sectors all over the world. At the same time, people haven't heard of us because we're not the biggest firm in the world. And if you're not doing towers, maybe you haven't heard of us. We're a WMB firm nationally. So people then have a misconception. They only do tiny little projects. They couldn't possibly be interested in my museum or school. So it's, it's a very interesting dichotomy that I don't know any other firms that have that. So spreading the word about the huge variety of work we do. So it's constantly telling people and you can tell people five times and they'll say, I don't remember you did libraries, but then finally it clicks and seeing them understand is great. Yeah, that's, that's a, great for reminding us to keep saying it over and over. 
Yeah, we, we've talked about this before in the past too, that so much about this idea of repetition goes, is useful across anything. I mean, it's like, it's not even selling, it's just communication that as you go up into more, like leadership, maybe a reductive way to say leadership equals repetition. <laughs> it's like one of the parts of leadership is to be constantly repetitive and see yourself as just having to repeat it until people ultimately absorb it and listen and also repeat it in different ways because different people learn mm. differently, right? And they also like to be communicated to it differently. But that's, I really appreciate, Carrie, your, your, this kind of insight about, you know, at a certain point, you think that it's not even, you can't be reductive about marketing to say it's just basically, oh, let's put the word out there in some sense, because what you're also describing is that there's different markets have different perceptions of you. And so you're wrangling the complexity of that, of like, which in some, in one solution is to enable every team member to be vocal about their area of practice in some sense. So that that's one way you're enabling the entire team to systematically like improve that, that complex or like, you know, minimize that complexity in some sense over time. Yes, it's absolutely a challenge. It's also one of the most fun things about my position in the job is that we do we do so many different types of work all over the world with the best designers in the world, the most unique, challenging sites in the world, but they're all very different. So getting individuals to talk about them is absolutely key and getting our own website to reflect all of those different areas of expertise. It's a, we're constantly juggling to prioritize Oh, we want to give this message. We want to give this message, but repetition is absolutely key because people there's an overflow of information. It's, it's just part of how we communicate, reminding them the projects we do, where we are and what our expertise is and how great our people are, how great our services. I think good repetition. It's just, it shows passion. Now you want to talk about what you're doing and you know, in establishing relationships, you, you just need to be passionate because people respond to other people that are passionate. So that's sort of a simple way. You know, it's something I, I, I talk to you know, my guys, the people I work with. And one of the key things is encourage everyone to establish a relationship with who they're working with outside of Lara, because ultimately people want to work with someone they know and not just, yeah, they're great engineers, but it's like, yeah, and I worked with so-and-so there, and that was a really good experience. So they're going to be able to help us out, and we're going to have another good time on the next project. So I think encouraging the younger engineers to first establish those relationships with whoever they come in contact with, and then through Carrie to, to be involved in different events and organizations so that they can meet more people and have more contact and more relationships, that just you know continues to expand. And that's key. Um, Doug, as, as you work through with, with Lara and also more recently, the two of you, how much effort has gone into thinking about the future of Lara? What have, you know, what's emerged from the legacy of the firm in terms of models for approaching complexity in, in across different kinds of large scale projects, but also small scale? I'd, it'd be interesting to hear because I'm, I'm less familiar, especially because I don't come, I'm less familiar like having come from an architecture background, I don't know, I, I don't really know all of the different ways of thinking about structural engineering and the way that I might be more sensitive to like how Gensler or SOM or HOK or like how they, what those are. But I, I'm curious, like, what is like the approach at Lara that emerged over its legacy that you still want to keep going um, as a differentiator to pull in more structural engineering talent or just general engineering talent? Well, I think key for us is our partners are very much involved in projects. Our associate partners are very much involved. It's not just a partner getting a project and then handing it off to a senior associate, which becomes a common model for larger firms. And the reason for that is because the partners and associate partners are passionate about design and creative solutions. So having us involved is like putting our most valuable people forth to help to advance the pro projects and to help meet the challenges and the problem solving. And, and besides that, I think, you know, having those um, high powered people involved allows us to, you know, really help discern what's important 
within any given project, you know, there's, there's, there can be a lot of chaos um, when it comes to design. There's a lot of different things to think about. And it's really about, well, what's important right now and what's important in the future um, and what's important to maybe this team member and then what's important collectively. And organizing your thoughts around that, I think is, is like a pretty good but basic strategy for how to proceed. And we try to teach that to the younger engineers just by exposing them to our process. Transparency is, is a big thing, I think. And as we grow, that's something we're striving to do more and more. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that's great. Carrie, um, from as you were developing the strategic plan with the whole firm view, especially around the next version and in the future of Lara, what, how, how are you kind of like identifying things from the past they may want to put away and then other things and maybe swap out with some new new approach and then on another dimension there's things that we just never want to let go about lara that they're just so key differentiating in the market yes i definitely think communicating our indispensable value that we bring to projects and clients and when they when you see them understand that and have that aha moment that Weira is, is here to collaborate with me and solve my pro- problems. That's what I try to capture and communicate with everything I do. I had a client tell me, every time you work with Lyra, your socks are knocked off. And when I work with the competition, my socks are still on. So capturing that service and excellence that we provide um, and that is instilled in every person at Lyra. That's the core of what we do and the core of what I'm trying to communicate in all of my marketing efforts. Going back a little bit to Doug's response too on kind of like the leadership at the top is involved in every project and that part of educating through that transparency, which is basically the idea that when to make a decision is very important as much as like, what decision is it? Like, Reminds me a lot of, it's it's an analogy, maybe not appropriate for the building industry in general, but it's like basically like there's always fires burning and there's just some that you need to put out today versus some that you can kind of leave burning for a little bit and then address them later. And I think that's that alone, right? That encapsulated as a mental model can be educated or kind of transferred over to like the next generation, right? Or the people that kind of need to hear it essentially that are working for you. And so that, and I, it's almost like there's probably these little insights along the way in how you work that if we're packaged together, could probably ramp up how people sort of grow within a firm, right? Because if let's say orientation day one as an intern, you're being told like, Hey, just know some decisions are not important. Some are. Here's a, here's a framework for understanding what's an important decision. I think these are the things that we could, you know, as an industry, really pack, package for people and, and help them even scale up faster than we think they currently can. I mean, engineering and, and architecture is similar. is essentially a mentorship profession. We teach from the very beginning. Sure, we have on the technical side is a lot of learning that happens in education. Um, but there's also a lot that doesn't. So there's mentorship on the technical side. And then uh, that extends to communication, how you put drawings together, and how you put a building together, uh, how you do details. But that also really extends to how you interact with people and the decisions and how do you manage a project and how do you manage internally and externally. So mentorship, I think, from the beginning is key. And it's, uh, you know, for me, it's not just about uh, on the technical side, it's about all aspects. And I think that helps the newer generations who are really hungry to learn more what their future could be, as opposed to like, yeah, just follow this path in the, in the policy manual. I think they need something more and you can give that to them by just uh, letting them in on what you're doing and motivating them. For the both of you, what do you want to see in the next year at Lara? And, and then what do you want to see in the next 10 years at Lara? <laughs> Carrie, you want to take a stab at I would absolutely like to see the thoughtful growth of the firm continue within the next year, within the next 10 years, um, for us to collaborate with even more architects and designers. When I find those new firms that don't know about us and connecting them and 
giving new engineers at my firm the opportunity to collaborate. That's what's exciting for me and creating opportunities for, for people that are here and then people that are in engineering school and may not be here. That's what I want to do more of in the next 10 years, create more opportunities. For me, for the next year, I think we need to have some more conversations with people at Lara, you know, not just talk a bit about my team because I work with them closest, but we have many people in teams. And I think we've, Carrie and I have been thinking about this a bit and there's been others as well. And I think focusing on others to challenge for their personal growth, I think is, is going to be key. 10 years, you know, I, I work with a close group of people now and I like to see them stay and continue and flourish and develop. That would be really cool. We talked a little bit about on the growth side. I think we, we, we might have discussed it even prior to this call too about the, the idea of, uh, of, of growing strategically across markets. But I'm curious, like, so there's a challenge of, there's one sort of challenge of market that like basically positioning relative to the market. Like what can Lara provide to different types of industries, different types of uh, typology sizes and, and things like that. And then there's the other one of geography, which Doug, you mentioned, you're kind of like now helping to kind of build out that piece. Is there a framework that has been helpful to kind of think through that, those, those priorities? I'm, I'm curious, Carrie, on your side, like what's, what's the best way to look at that from your perspective, or that's been really helpful for you to think about those, what it's not, they're not competing objectives necessarily, mm. But one is almost like with the clientele that we have today, how do we help them understand us better? And then there's the new potential clients in these kind of new markets. I'm just curious, like, how are you juggling those? Yes. Well, in the geography perspective, we have worked in 33 states and I believe over 50 countries. So when we want to tackle a new market sector and get more than just one project in an area, we see what can offer and what is going on in that area and what we've achieved. And then really trying to do more research about who is there, how we can reach out to them and communicating our value. It's different than a market specific, such as cultural projects or academic projects. It's different. So we, we do absolutely do both. We want to tackle a certain geographic area and we want to tackle a market sector. But we see where we have the opportunities and the skills that will align with client needs in that area, whether it's a physical location or a market sector, and start connecting the dots with who we know, who knows about us, and then talk to people and grow your awareness and connections. That's really what it's about. I mean, having the national expertise, say, cultural facilities, like we've done some iconic museums and other buildings. We've done some, some good ones and we have a good reputation. We've worked with good teams. Having the ability to bring that to a different market where there's an opportunity. Say it's the university that wants to build a brand new science building and we've, we've done that. And if they're willing to look at firms that are outside that market, there's a potential there because we that's we you know we bring that expertise in. On the other hand, for us to be able to come in and say we feel this is a growing market, so we're bringing in this expertise, and at the same time we're willing to commit to this market and be local, so that you view us not as a special designer from New York, but rather someone that's knowledgeable about this area and committed to this area. So, I mean, the other key strategy on the regional side is finding people that want to commit to an area or that come from an area. We got a lot of people that come to New York, but they come from all over the country. Some come from all over the world. And being able to use those roots, I think, is key and something we're focused on. Yes. Strategy for us. And then the, the third track, I would say, is technical expertise. So High Rises is one of them, but we have many others, um, post-tension concrete, timber, steel detailing, excellent steel detailing. So specific types of technical expertise, resiliency projects, adaptive reuse, wherever they are, whatever market sector they are in, we create awareness and hopefully team with partners that are looking for the right collaborators for those efforts. 
So they're kind of three different things that are all happening at once. We have some questions from the monograph community here that I'd love to hear your take on. So one we always like to ask about is what does it look like your typical work week, month, quarter, and year in your roles? Okay, I can start. And um, George already mentioned fires. And so I have lots of fires. Your best intentions, you have a schedule, you're working on strategic plans, visions, your weekly communications efforts, your marketing efforts. I'm managing a marketing team who does an absolutely fantastic job with our pursuits and social media and images at the same time as long-term strategic visions. Um, and there's almost never a day that some other emergency doesn't come up or have to fulfill a client need on an urgent pursuit, um, has a question about some promotion that's come up, all types of things. We're working all over the world, so it kind of never stops. That's what I do. And I attend a lot of events to meet people. I'm talking to people constantly. Every week I'm talking to dozens of people I already know, but meeting new people as well every week. You know, I guess it's, it's similar. I mean, it's, you know, projects, design of projects or servicing them during construction um, has a ebb and flow, ups and downs, you know, work to deadlines and things. So things work well when they don't exactly coincide. Sometimes you can try to manipulate that, but really there's a lot of what I do is balancing both my efforts and my team's efforts on things we have to do. And then, you know, I do manage standards at Lara. So that's always in the background and whether it's me working on something or getting colleagues to work on something, that's a challenge because obviously it's, it's a bit, uh, can be low priority, but ultimately long-term is pretty high priority for us. And then being available to talk to people all around, client side, internally, um, is super important. You can't just say, you can't just put people off. We are a communication business, so it's like, that's really important. And also worthwhile. So you have to factor that in there. And of course, I travel. And so it's a uh, week can be, I think one of the cool things about this business design is that you start the week thinking X, Y, and Z might happen, but ABC happens and it's like totally different. And at the end of the week, you're like, wow, that was a little crazy, but at least it was fun. It's actually kind of appropriate. There's a, a comment in the chat here, which is, I heard from a friend that they loved working with uh, Lara while at HOK. What do you do to develop those special relationships? What do you do when projects get challenging? Well, I think first you have to have a relationship. Like they have to view you as a person and that's key from the beginning. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go out and do things together. It just means uh, a relationship uh, at some level that garners respect on both sides. And then that helps because then you can communicate and you can listen to each other. Uh, when things get challenging, I mean, obviously, if there's a problem, things need to be addressed. You know, there's, we're in construction and there's mix up and, you know, schedule is affected. It's like you have to jump in and really and help. You have to provide service, you know. Efficient services is important to help the team overcome the problems. But talking through what needs to be done, the timeframes, the options, uh, talking through that upfront is key, uh, that transparency. Uh, you know, one of the worst things is like something's taking too long, but you don't tell them it's going to take too long. Uh, you have to tell them upfront, look, these are the issues and these are the challenges we face. And the solution may be something like this, and it may be a little tough. Can we talk about a few other options that involve the whole team collectively working together? So I, you know, it's uh, that's just one possible possible way. I definitely appreciate that. This uh, this uh, again, it's kind of like the insight here is is like how important it is to set expectations continuously and recalibrating those expectations, but it requires a level of proactiveness. Like if there's an issue, you have to raise your hand and like call it out, but call it out with potentially, you know, some solution in mind, or at least like the avenue for like, hey, there is a solution here. Right? I feel like just even the the approach of being positive as opposed mm -hmm. to, holy shit, there's a problem here. I don't know. See ya, <laughs> which would not be, <laughs> would not be the best approach at all. 
But even just coming out to like, hey, there's a solution here. Can we set aside some time tomorrow, iron it out? Like, let's just put an hour and a half on the calendar with the goal that we're going to try to come out with at least two solutions, right? Like that, that level of proactiveness is just like critical. I mean, especially in fast moving, because all these projects end up being more and more like compressed over time, right? And it's even more and more critical to be that responsive and quick with your, your clients. Yeah, I mean, if our business could do more and more of that and maximize that, I think it'll improve the uh, the AEC industry. That's when things work best. We can do something special when we all work together. When we don't, you know, then you get the the threat of legal issues and just conflicts. It's like that just takes away from what we're trying to do for the built environment. So, yeah, definitely proactiveness is key. Here's another question from the monograph community. What is the lesson you did not learn in school? Wow. I think it's pretty clear. Uh, I went to art school and it was very similar to architecture and engineering school that you learn a craft, you learn an area of expertise, and you don't learn how to run a business, how to market yourself. You don't understand the finances of your projects and what you're delivering you don't understand how to address your clients' needs. So having the same background and being able to bring that to Lara has been very rewarding for me to be able to teach brilliant engineers something new um, that they don't understand fully um, is great. But I think overall, that's why these series are so valuable. We all need to talk more about it. So in school, learning the business of the business, the business of design. You can't just design in a vacuum. There's a whole world revolving around you that needs to function pretty efficiently in order to have a successful project and to please your clients and to be part of a great collaborative team. I think some schools have made movement forward, but there's still a lot of room for improvement. And hopefully these discussions can help that. We love talking about what we do all of us in the creative industries. So let's do it. Yeah, I would say all that. And school doesn't really, uh, and I'm not sure it really does it now either. You know, college doesn't necessarily teach you how to be a leader. Uh, That's very much learning that on your own. I think that's true for people in general. Um, You get to be a leader when you have a family or a community organization or, and then you're you're thrust into it in, in your business. Some people have it innately. Some people are a little inhibited. So that's, you know, that's like a big thing when you start your professional life. Learning how to be a leader is, I think, key in some capacity. A little bit on this uh, topic of of learning. Uh, We also have a question around influence or or rather, you know, what be interesting to hear more about, like, what are your sources of inspiration or influence in thinking about how to approach Lara moving forward into the future? I like, you know, obviously things are always, the assumptions we had about how certain things worked five years ago, 10 years ago, those are, are constantly changing. And so it would be really probably helpful for a lot of the audience to hear too about like, what are your sources of inspiration or places you go to, whether that's blogs or, you know, books that you felt were kind of really influential and in helping you think about where to take Lara next? That's a good <laughs> Question. Um, I would say I am very inspired by the people at Lyra and we have each person has their own strengths and we have someone at Lyra who's just a very calm, thoughtful leader. And I try to emulate that and I see how successful he is. And I try to bring that forth. That approach is wonderful. I have another partner who can sit in any room with architects with some sketch paper and just have all their eyes wide open and sketch out a a detail that will solve the whole project, the whole problem that was happening. So that's, it's so inspiring to me and to see people communicating and really affecting something that was causing stress to someone else and helping to solve that like if you can alleviate people's stress and help them move forward, they will bring you into their group every time. And that's, that's really how we've done it. Personally, I am very, I'm a huge music fan. So I would say 
the arts and music. Just do something fun, listen to something fun and engage with the broader world around you. Yeah, that's a, well, I think for sure relationships are key. Uh, you know, we have a great group of individuals here and they all have different talents and you know, uh, the, the the founder of the firm was Les Robertson. You know, he had this creative, energetic, nonstop spirit that was fantastic and very inspirational to all of us. Um, we've all evolved since then, um, which I think has been key and essential. And I think letting the new group of engineers, designers at Lara evolve in their own ways will be key. Um, because and we'll see where we go. You know, it's aside from like strategic plans for us to grow, because the business obviously should continue to grow and give more opportunity and pursuing different markets and services, just letting people grow and be themselves and see where that goes. That for me is like really inspirational. I want to make sure that happens because I'm investing a lot of time working with people and I want that to, you know, to be realized. Uh, it's a, uh, I think us as a as a company with really talented people is a definer of who we are, opposed to some specific philosophy. We have a lot of audience that is in a smaller scale firm, let's say anywhere. I mean, in reality, it's all across the different firm scales, but we try to help smaller firms understand what's going on and be learned in large firms and see if there's a way that they can apply it to grow their firm. I always think that, you know, there's some things that you can only do when you're large and other things that you can only do, or you can only become large when you start doing them, you know, and sometimes you don't know which one is which. And so I'd love to hear what, maybe you have conversations already with colleagues in the industry that are at a smaller scale, or I'm just curious, like what might you suggest to them to open their eyes to, uh, in order to empower them to bring their firms to the next level? Our approach to growth at Lyra is very unique. It's growth from within. It's growth from people who've been with the firm for 20 or 30 years. Instead of acquiring firms or hiring a senior person to lead something, it's mentoring and training people from the foundation at the start of their careers and bringing them forth and it might not be the fastest road to growth, but it's very strong. We bring our clients with us and the, the culture and strength of the collaborative efforts by the time people reach the top of their career is unbreakable. And I would, I would encourage other smaller firms to look at a similar model to utilize what they have and grow it more holistically from within rather than just trying to take over something somebody else already has because then it's not about you it's about someone else someone else's culture so it's worked really well for us and i think it's one of the really unique things about us investing in people i think is key the other thing i was going to say um and this is geared more to small practitioners, say on, on the structural level, because um, is be involved in the community, in the professional community, learn what others are doing, because you just see how different people do things. You get different ideas and, and it will foster your own creativity and try to collaborate with others. You know, things that let you see a bigger picture, because ultimately what helps us is that we have a diverse group of individuals that see things differently and that leads us to um, just uh, provide the most creative uh, outlooks to to these to the projects, uh, services, the, uh, the relationships. Those two things I would say would be could be beneficial. Well, thank you both for for this conversation. I think we're going to wrap it up with uh, the, our favorite closing question here at Monograph. If I think both of you have heard some of our previous conversations, so you might already know what it is. What is the kindest or nicest thing anyone's ever done for you, whether professionally, personally? Uh, we could start with you, Carrie. Okay, thank you. I think this is a fun story. I was a senior in college working on my thesis project, studying architectural photography, which is how I got into this industry. And I was out doing a photo shoot. I was working on a 
demolition buildings in New York during a phase when there was a lot going on. And I was taking a picture with a large view camera and an older man on a bicycle came up to me and started talking about my photograph and looking through the glass plate. And it turned out he was a very famous, well-known photographer named Ted Croner. He was very well known in the New York school in the 40s and 50s, has some absolutely world famous photos of black and white taxis and action on the streets in New York. And he engaged with me. He came to an art opening I had just for him to welcome me and encourage me and for me to learn that these people that are our absolute idols in the creative world can be our collaborators and friends. That was so inspiring to me and such a boost of confidence. And I think it's really part of one of the great things about the creative industries. You're, the people you're idolizing can be your collaborators the next day. Wow, what a beautiful New York moment. <laughs> this is like such a, really. such a amazing Doug. Well, I would say actually it would be how I actually got my first job, which is working at Lara. And then you have to put it in context. This was the in the 90s. It was a recession. No one was hiring. I sent out all the letters and interviews. And then there was one one special program I applied for, which was it allowed would have allowed me to work overseas. And then come back to, to New York, which I was super excited about. Got a letter in the mail when I was in grad school, and they said, you accept it. Uh, and this is pre digital, you know, like it wasn't like by email or anything like that. It's a letter. And as I called up, I was like, you know, really excited. And the person I spoke to uh, paused for a moment and put me on hold and then came back and said, you know, that we made a big mistake. You were second place and you didn't, you, you're not eligible for this. I was devastated because, you know, it was a pretty sweet assignment and, uh, you know, very devastated. I went to my thesis advisor um, who, you know, the professor at Cornell, he was, he was extremely compassionate. And right then and there, he was like, wait a second, I'm just going to call up my old company and recommend that they hire you. And that's how I wound up at Lara. And I'll never forget that because I was so frustrated and to have, to have a turnaround 180 like that was, pretty sweet. That's amazing. Well, I really appreciate both of you and your stories. Uh, you know, as I can say, it's really, we like to be a little bit human to away from just uh, pure business, but yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thanks everyone in the audience for joining us today. And thanks again, Chris, for joining me on this uh, conversation. Really appreciate all of you. Thank you. Thank you. everyone. Thank you all. Bye now. Chris, bye. Hey, it's Chris from Monograph. Thank you so much for joining us here. At Monograph, we're building the number one practice operations platform for small to mid-sized architecture firms. More than 200 practices are using Monograph today to run the business side of architecture. You can start a free trial today or watch a live demo with our CEO, Robert Ewan. Get started at monograph.com. That's monograph.com. Talk to you soon.